like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on your Thursday NBA Finals Game 6 tonight. Uh, KU introduced officially their new baseball coach, Dan Fitzgerald. We have some audio from... From Dan Fitzgerald, we have some audio from Travis Goff. We're going to share that for you coming up. We also, with the U.S. Open starting up, we have these U.S. Open updates that are going to play through Westwood One throughout the show today. And the thing that I'm most excited for, we also have a KU mailbag. If, if you want to get in any last-minute questions, hit us up at RCST1320 or on my Twitter account at Radio. But um, we're going to do a basketball draft of Stranger Things characters. And we're going to do that with Scott Jason coming up here in about 15 minutes from right now. Um, because of these updates with the U.S. Open, I don't have time to fully get into the Grady Dick deep dive here in this opening segment. So we're going to split this up into this segment. Then we're going to do the draft. Then we're going to finish up our Grady Dick deep dive. Um, but as we've done for the players, all that we have left, Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson, as far as the deep dives go. He is a six foot seven wing out of Wichita, Kansas. Went to Sunrise Christian Academy. I think he was at Mays before going over to Sunrise Christian Academy for his final couple years, playing up with competition. He averaged about 18 points per game on the season, a little over five rebounds per game, over an assist and a half per game, while shooting 51% from the field and nearly 47% from three. And obviously, that's even more impressive when you think about it from the high school lens of they play four eight-minute quarters. Uh, so obviously less time than two 20-minute halves. You know, you you prorate that out to a 40-minute game as opposed to 32. It becomes even more impressive. But also, you know, I, I think sometimes we think of these guys who are top-tier high school players, five-star recruits, and you just automatically think, well, why isn't he averaging 30 and 10 and just dominating high school? But this is different for Grady Dick. Like, sure, maybe if he would have stayed at Mays or, again, I, I don't remember if he was there or somewhere else. He does average those numbers, but at Sunrise, you're playing with a bunch of other D1, Power 5, five-star, four-star commits that, you know, it, it's not like you'd be at a normal high school and it's like, oh, I'm staying in the entire game. Like, you're getting these other guys time, you're getting these other guys run, so they can get D1 opportunities as well, and you're playing, as opposed to other high schools, you're playing other um, of these kind of like charter schools, these private schools that have these... D1 power five commits as well to where it's it's not quite a college game because of the, the the experience and that stuff but in terms of the talent on the court that you're playing in he's playing closer to a college game than a high school game there um, but still unbelievable efficiency from Grady Dick with those high school numbers that obviously led to him being a McDonald's All-American led to him being a five-star recruit doesn't matter where you look I think the highest he's rated on any of the Big recruiting sites is ESPN. He's ranked 14th there. And on the 24-7 sports composite, which looks at you know, a combination of all those, he's ranked 19th, top 20 recruit in the country. 
Um, now, one thing we do know is that, you know, not not every recruiting ranking, I, I guess, like it's it's different than um, as hmm, I'm trying to think how I can properly put this. Uh, Grady Dick could be the 19th ranked recruit if they view it as a long term potential in terms of what he could be if he stayed in college for four years and then went to the pros and, and what he does over the course of his basketball career. But if you're just looking at it in terms of what players can come in and be effective college players right away, I don't know. Maybe he'd be top 10. I, I don't know how that stuff would, would rank differently than what this is because the current rankings are different than that. But the biggest award that he received that would make you think he is, you know, maybe maybe he's ranked a little lower. Maybe he's not ranked in the top 10 because he is more of a guy that you envision once he eventually goes to the NBA is playing a specific role. You know what I mean? Whereas maybe a guy who's ranked 17th won't be as, as good of a college player right away, but maybe they view as having more long-term NBA potential, something like that. Um, I would just think that when you're the Gatorade High School National Player of the Year, that would tell you that in terms of guys who can have an immediate impact as far as freshmen go, he probably ranks closer to being that top 10 than he does being ranked 19th. Like Again, perfect example. Tyrese Hunter was ranked around the 40 range, like 38, 42, kind of somewhere in that range in the recruiting rankings. And Tyrese Hunter came in right away and had a huge impact as a freshman. Now, if you're looking more long, long-term, Tyrese Hunter's a bit of an undersized guard, like what's his NBA potential, um, all that sort of stuff. That becomes a different question. But if you're just ranking it based on what impact they can have right away their first year in the program, Tyrese Hunter probably would have been a top 20 recruit. It's just a different way of looking at things. There's a different way of ranking things. So it just kind of depends how you look at it. Um, but I, I want to re-up this list because we talked about this when he won this award, the Gatorade High School National Player of the Year for, for boys basketball. If you go back and look at the last two decades of winners of this award, it is a who's who of names. And, and when, I, when I look at this list, it's a combination of things. Um, again, if I go back, two decades here to 2002, 2003. You have a couple guys on this list who never even played college. So it's not a, a congruent comparison with what I want to talk about from the college standpoint, because that's what we're talking about here with Grady Dick coming to KU. But it certainly shows the talent of the players that have been picked to win that award. And in the case of all these guys I'm about to mention, really outside of one, which like the story kind of remains to be seen on that one I'm going to mention here. All of these guys were literally all of them were top 17 picks in the draft and all but one were lottery picks in the draft. And in the case of basically all of them, they were super impactful in college immediately, right as freshmen. There are a couple exceptions and those exceptions are more so because of other things. So uh, let me go through this because this is the award and this is the company that Grady Dick is now a part of. 2002 and 2003, LeBron James won it. Again, never went to college. Number one pick in the draft. He's done himself okay in the NBA, I would say. Uh, Dwight Howard won it in 2004. Again, ended up being the number one pick. He didn't go to college. So again, uh, you know, kind of take that aside as far as college impact. But Dwight Howard's going to be a basketball Hall of Famer. Uh, he was one of the best players in the league, like in his prime in the early 2010s, like late 2000s. Okay, uh, here comes the guys that started going to college. 2005 and 2006, Greg Oden won the award. He then goes to Ohio State, number one pick in the draft, 
And immediately as a freshman, he is one of the best players in the country. He's an All-American. He averages nearly 16 points per game, double-digit rebounds, leads Ohio State to the national title game. Pretty good, I would say. Uh, 2007, Kevin Love wins the Gatorade Player of the Year Award in high school. Goes to play for UCLA, plays there one year, ends up being the fifth pick in the draft. He averages 17.5 points per game. Again, an All-American. Again, a guy that... Um, helps lead his team to a Final Four and a great season. 2008, Drew Holiday wins it, goes to UCLA for one year. He's actually on the lowest end of the spectrum in terms of points per game, eight and a half points per game for Holiday. He ended up being the 17th pick in the draft. So that's kind of the floor here. And even with Drew Holiday, even though it was eight and a half points per game, still good assist numbers. He uh, shot it pretty efficiently, and he was, as he still is known now, a great defender. So you're getting extra stuff out of him there. 2009 and 2010, Brandon Knight won it. And you may think, oh, Brandon Knight, he's not in the NBA anymore. What has he done? He was still the eighth pick in the draft. He still was a great college player, and he hit the ground running. He averaged 17.3 points per game as a freshman at Kentucky, led them to a Final Four. 2011, Bradley Beal wins it. He averages 15 a game as a freshman at Florida, and he ends up being the third pick in the uh, NBA draft. Jabari Parker wins it the next year, 19 points per game as a freshman. Number two pick, Andrew Wiggins wins it the next year. He averages 17 a game as a freshman. Number one pick, Carl Anthony Towns leads Kentucky to a near undefeated season, over 10 points per game, but that team was just so loaded, it was so balanced. Ben Simmons, 19 points per game as a freshman. Jason Tatum, 17. Michael Porter Jr. was injured, so I don't really count that one. R.J. Barrett, 22 and a half. James Wiseman only played three games, then was ineligible with everything going on, but he was averaging 20 points per game the games he played. Chet Holmgren this past season averaged over 14. He's going to be a top three pick in the draft. Amani Bates is really the one. He, he got it as a junior. Uh, he struggled last year in Memphis. Still averaged nearly 10 a game, just inefficient. Only played 18 games, but... He uh, was in a situation where he reclassified up, so he should really start being in college this year. Um, you go through that list. All those guys impacted things at a very high level. All those guys were high draft picks. All those guys not just had success in terms of their college career. They had success right away. On aggregate, in total, all those guys I mentioned over the last two decades, in their freshman season alone, so that doesn't even count if they stayed multiple years, their freshman season alone, on average, those guys totaled up 15.8 points per game. I would say that would be a pretty successful first year for Grady Dick, and that is the company he's in. All right, we're going to take a timeout here to get to our first U.S. Open Westwood One tournament update. Then we'll take a timeout when we come back after that. Scott Chasen will join us to do our Stranger Things basketball draft, and then we'll finish the deep dive of Grady Dick. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Joined once again by Scott Chasen, who uh, we're going to do another draft with. We did our KU basketball drafts. We did... Uh, what, four-year players. We did um, one-year players for, for KU as well. Uh, we are going to do another one. It's going to be the zero-slash-five-slash-six-year player draft coming up, which uh, I'm going to be in Germany the next couple weeks, so we'll air that for you while I'm gone. We're going to get ahead of that one before I head out to Germany. Um, but this one today is a special one. It is the draft of Stranger Things. What made you think of, of doing this draft, Scott? 
Well, I, look, uh, anyone who's watched the show, and we're going to try our best to avoid spoilers, but there might be some. So at least be caught up on season four if you're, uh, you know, if you're watching, or at least have started it maybe. But look, uh, there's a lot of basketball and Stranger Things, and you know, I, I just think it's it's a fun kind of show. The the fourth season had a lot of it. Really, there were some in the third and I believe second seasons. Uh, some of the players playing, so it just seemed like a logical, natural fit. For a show that talks about sports, covering you know the best college basketball program in the country to expand into the Stranger Things basketball cinematic universe, so this this just felt natural to me. Yeah, it works. I I'm a little scared because you went back and rewatched like the entire thing of Stranger Things. Now this was several weeks ago, so I don't know how much you remember, but I, I know you rewatched it. Whereas I just I just watched the newest season, and obviously there's you know a, a big basketball moment and, and scenes that happen in the newest season. I know you mentioned, though, there were multiple other basketball scenes. There was one other that I remembered that I went back and, and watched the tape on. Did I miss other basketball scenes, though? Like, how many were there? I, I don't know. Now I'm, I'm doubting myself because here's the issue. Like, I planned on rewatching a lot of these episodes leading up to the draft. I planned on making a character list. I planned on coming up with, like, a whole lot of picks. Then I forgot about this draft for a week and kind of got busy. So what I have on my draft board are 10 characters, um, five of whom would be really bad picks for this draft and (laughs) several of whom I'm probably going to have to take. So I'm preemptively just letting you know that I plan on being very creative. Um, We have decided on one rule, which we uh, cannot share because it's kind of a spoiler, but it will affect the way we draft. And beyond that, there are no rules. Nothing is off limits. So I'm really looking forward to um, seeing where this goes. I get the sense your picks will be better, but I think my picks will be more creative, and uh, I will still not win this draft. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll see. I'm a little worried that I'm going to get two out there with some of these picks. By the way, can we can we just agree now this basketball game, this hypothetical basketball game, is going to take place in the upside-down some sort of arena, right? Oh, uh, of course, and even if not, then just maybe the crowd or, or maybe the court's in the upside down, but the rest of the you know people watching are not in the upside down. It would be a we'd have a really cool atmosphere, and you know when you talk about like flipping home court in a, in a series, literally you just like walk through a hole and hop up on the other side of the court. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> there we go. I love it. Uh, okay, so uh, I think I actually do have a coin on me that I can flip the coin. Um, one difference that we're doing in this draft than the other drafts, and we've both agreed to this, in the other drafts, we, we drafted a sixth man, right? In this one, we're going to do a coach as opposed to the sixth man? Mm-hmm. I think that's the way to go, and, and it's the way to go because there are a lot of characters that can't really compete against other characters, so I think this is just a way to use everyone's talent. Okay, so I have a quarter. It is a, uh, what year is this? A 2000 New Hampshire quarter. Would you like to guess Ooh. heads or tails? Um, I will call tails. All right, up in the air. It is heads. So that means I have Ooh. the choice of whether I want to go first <laughs> or go second. I'm going to actually go second, and it's not even that I feel better about the 2-3 turn or that I don't know who I'd take number one. It's more so just because I want to see how you lead things off here, and I'm curious where this goes from here. So you're up. Yeah, Derek. Derek, along the lines of us flipping a coin to decide who gets to decide who goes first or second, I'm starting to think we may have overcomplicated the draft process on this one. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's okay. Okay. So, look, there are a lot of options for this draft. I have two options on my board that I'm fairly confident you're not going to take. And if you try to take either, I will argue that they're against the rules. But I oh, will not argue but you that would, if you I would take ta- Okay. That doesn't seem fair. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, it's, look, you're killing me in these drafts, so I have to catch up. The first pick to me is a power forward. He might play center, but I, I, he's just a classic character. I think it's a he. Um, he doesn't really um, have descript whatevers, but uh, I'm taking the Demogorgon. I'm sticking him at the four. Um, I think that covers all Demogorgons, a, a versatile player. He can pop up and in and out. He has kind of inconsistent abilities because in season one, he could like sense where Will Byers was at all times. And then in later seasons, people can like hide behind trees. Um, so not really sure how that works, but uh, Demogorgon, unstoppable force. I'm putting him at the four, maybe the five if I need to, but I like the Demogorgon. Yeah, I'll be honest. I wrote a uh, player comp for the Demogorgon. Do you want to know what it is? <laughs> what, like Kenneth Freed? I had De- that's a good one. I had Dennis Rodman. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that. I think the Demogorgon would be the best basketball player of anyone in the show. Yeah, I'm talking like Detroit Pistons Dennis Rodman, where he's legitimately like able to guard one through five. He's guarding Michael Jordan. He's this super athlete who's actually scoring the basketball some, like dunking and stuff. Like That's what he is. He's, he's probably the best athlete, um, just in terms of, of who's here. Okay, I have back-to-back picks. Uh, I will go with 11. You know, that's, I don't know, maybe a bit of a pander pick, honestly, but... Um, I feel good about putting her at one of the guard spots. She's obviously a bit shorter, so I'm not getting great size there. But one thing with 11 is that she can maneuver the basketball with her mind. I mean, for, forget Steve Nash or, or whatever great passer you can think of. She can maneuver the ball in the air with her mind. Now, um, I don't know what the rules of the basketball game are. Or is she allowed to do that? Is she allowed to use her mind defensively to, like, I don't know, move the ball in the air when, when your team shoots it? Is that a goaltend? Does it depend when she moves it? I, I don't know the rules to that, but there's there's enough potential here. I'm going to go with 11. I don't like that pick. Too inconsistent for me. Uh, would not have made that pick, and I'm sure the voters will agree. I'm kidding, of course. They will uh, okay. like that pick very much. Well, I could kind of do what I did last week where, you know, I, I take, uh, well, hmm, no. All right, I'm going to go a little off the wall here, and this might be one of the ones that you said you don't think I'm going to pick and that you are going to argue that I shouldn't be able to have. I uh, also don't really know if this is going to fit on a basketball court. I'm going to go with the mind flare. At what position? Uh, he's. I mean, he's got to be like a center, right? He's gigantic. I don't think he can fit on the basketball court. That's what I'm I, I think he'd probably have to be your coach. No, I don't want him as my coach. I want him as a center. I mean... You're not going to be able to get a shot off over center? him. How, how is he going to fit on the basketball court? He's we'll, we'll standing make out of bounds at all times. Well, he won't touch the ball offensively. He won't touch the ball offensively. He's made out of smoke, Derek. <laughs> no, he's made out of, like, like uh, I don't know, guts and red stuff. and. No. He's a, you're, you are confusing characters. I'm fairly certain the mind player goes inside Will Byers at some point. I, I don't know about this. I mean, you do whatever you Dude, want. The mind flare, mind logically makes more sense. The mind flare is the big thing that they fight at the end of season. I want to say three, like in the mall. Oh, I guess in the upside down though, he's like a smoke monster though. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I'm taking okay. I'm taking the the real life version of the mind flare. <laughs> um, okay, and you're that the mind flare at the five. Yes, because like I said, 
like you said, he he might be too big. He's going to be stepping out of bounds at all times. So I'm not letting him touch the ball offensively. We might do the Sacramento Kings like opposite thing. Remember that they're talking about like having somebody cherry pick the entire time and playing four on defense. We mm-hmm. might do the opposite. We're going to play four on offense. Mind Flare is going to stay back on defense. You're not going to get a shot off over him. Like good luck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to level with you, Derek. Uh, the Mind Flare is going to be my next pick. So okay, uh, there we go. It's disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> so. Here's the issue now. Um, my board has been decimated. Uh, I am very quickly running out of options uh, here, which is extremely disappointing given it's that been we're uh, around and I a half. One pick in this draft. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't prep for this. Okay, here we go. I'm going to take Vecna, who is the yeah. villain of this season. Also known um, as number I one. Need someone. I need this uh, someone with some superpowers. Uh, that was definitely a huge spoiler if you are not caught up on season four, so I apologize <laughs> oh, about I'm that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah, you really shouldn't have. Uh, I'm going to put Vecna at the three because I think there are more creative options um, that I can do at the two and the one. And now I'm looking over my board. Uh, actually, I'm going to put Vecna at the two. Um, I'm going to put Vecna at the two. And... You know what? I'm gonna. I think I'm, I'm gonna take Steve Harrington. I'm gonna put him at the one. He is definitely not the best player in this draft, um, but he is a fan favorite. He is fearless. He can be my point guard, and I like teaming him up with the Demogorgon. I think he sometimes doesn't know what he doesn't know. Um, you know, he'll get into trouble. The Demogorgon will help him out. Uh, Derek, so far my team is much worse than yours, but I like my team more than yours. <laughs> Um, well, okay, to be fair, I, I maybe I didn't spoil it because they never say who number one is until the last, right? So, I don't know, maybe I didn't spoil it. No, you that was a huge spoiler, and if uh, you had tweeted that, people would have been like, you spoiled the whole season. But it's okay. You, I, please keep it in there. I want people to hate you. Okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, that might help you with the voting. Okay, I have back-to-back picks. Um, <laughs> I think you made, a, you made a mistake there by taking Steve Harrington. And, and I love Steve Harrington. How could you not, in my opinion? Best character in Stranger Things. Um, there's a scene, and I don't know if it's season two or season three. I believe it's season three, because I think that's when he would have come into the show. Uh, but nonetheless, Billy Hargrove, who is the kind of villain, like the, the human villain, and he gets taken over mm-hmm. by the Mind Flare for a bit, and then at the end, he I, I guess I don't want to spoil anything else, so I, I won't say what ends up happening to him. But nonetheless, um, there's a scene in that season where it's, it's kind of introducing him. He's playing against Steve Harrington in basketball and he, he steals the ball. He just rips it clean from Steve, takes it the other way and throws down like a jam or something like that. Better. No, athlete, he goes with an under the leg. Of oh, is that, that's what it is. Layup. I, that's right. That's right. It's a okay. layup though. That, but, okay. Yes. That, <laughs> no that's a good point out. Yes. He's got no huff. No, he, he jumps in the air. Does like you said, the big leg. like you have to be able to jump very high to do that. And, and move the ball around. No, you don't. Yes, you do. He can't dunk. With as, as high as he goes. Victory. Watch the film. Watch the film. He uh, dies in season three. You're taking a dead man. Okay, but we're playing in the upside down. And I don't know. The people who are dead or alive, maybe. I, I don't know how this works. Um, I I think this is a great pick. I, I'm going to shut down Steve Harrington. He proved in that limited sample size. I mean, we don't have any examples of Steve Harrington scoring on Billy. But we do have examples of <laughs> Billy dominating Steve Harrington. Um, I think he's a better athlete. I think he's more of a man-child than Steve Harrington is. So uh, I'll have Billy, and and I really like my one-two punch with 11 and Billy in the backcourt. And then 
I feel like this is this guy maybe should have gone earlier because just by pure notion, like we know he is the star of the basketball team. That would be Jason Carver. Jason Carver is <laughs> in the new season, um, just the classic like Indiana, you know, good old white boy, good shooter, shooting guard that you kind of think of like he'd fit right in with like Hoosiers, you know what I mean? And he's the star of the team. Now, he doesn't necessarily maybe come up clutch in the end for them, but we know he is overall, over the course of the season, he is their star basketball player of the team that, that you know, does amazing things over the course of the season. So he might not be the guy that I asked to take the last shot, but, you know, if I have him over the course of the game, he's putting up buckets. That's a good pick. I had him on my list. Um, he kind of reminds me of John Stockton a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I give it to you. Now he doesn't make the clutch play. So I get, I get some ticks down. I'm going to reconfigure my roster. Uh, I want to go with sides. So you're, you're playing, you know, three point guards together. I want to get a size advantage over you. So I'm going to move the Demogorgon to the five. I'm going to move Vecna to the four. Then I'm going to draft at the two. Uh, I'm going to draft the Duffer brothers and I'm going to take both of them to, you know, play the two together. I think they're inseparable. I think they're the creators of the show and the the world doesn't exist without them. Yeah, me neither. And uh, if you had argued with me on taking them, I would have said, if you can give me the first name of either one of them, I will only take one. But uh, in this case, I think I'm going to take both Duffer brothers uh, and I'm going to put them at the two. So you can update me on that. Okay, it is Matt and Ross. I just looked it up. Um, they're identical twin brothers. That's like having the Morris. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think that's a big help for me. I don't think it is. <laughs> I do. You don't think Billy Billy goes one on two against the pair of Duffer brothers at the two? You think you're coming out ahead in that? I mean, what are the rules here? Can you have six guys on the court? I. There are no you have the mind flare on the court, so I think the rules went out the window. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, hmm. um I, I get another pick. I have oh, another right. pick here, and I'm gonna draft my coach because there is no chance in hell that you are taking the player I have slotted at the three right now, and I'm very happy that he's gonna um fall to me. I guess that's a bit of a spoiler. Uh I will take uh Hopper the sheriff, um, preferably with some fire, because he is the only one who has figured out how to defeat a Demogorgon, basically. And I feel like if I have him as my coach, that puts me in a great position. I've got lots of options available, um, and I'm really liking how my team is shaking out. See, I actually had Hopper listed for myself as like a big man, power forward center. I thought, you know, he'd be the scrappy guy who's throwing bows down low. You're not going to, like, get any movement on him trying to back him down in the post, but I I think he's a good coach (laughs) as well. Okay, uh, I don't need to take my coach then till the very end since you've taken yours. I guess you could take my coach as a player, but I don't think you will. Um, I am going. <laughs> all bets are off there. Yeah, right. I'm going to go with Lucas first. So Lucas, mm-hmm. uh, obviously one of the main characters of the show. We see him again. Like I, I don't want to say what makes him a good pick here because I don't want to spoil it. Um, well, he's on the basketball team, so that's yeah. Let's just say that start. he's on the basketball thing. Else he's drafted. Yes, he does good things. Um, what position do you think he was playing there? Like, I, I was thinking he was kind of like, four. like, I was thinking he was like forward. Yeah. Stretch four. He's a stretch four. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to have him in at the forward, uh, position. Now my other pick, this is, I'm, I'm going to get a little more off the wall. I don't know if this is going to be one that you even had on your, mm-hmm. your list, a bat thing from the upside down. Yeah, that's. 
as your coach? Oh, wait, no, just kidding. I, I was in the wrong space of mind. I, I was in the, the space that I needed the sixth player. I, I forgot the new rules, so I need a coach. No, okay. you just need a coach. Chilling me. You need a Chilling coach me. right now. Okay. Um, it's between three people for me. So mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to pick this one, but Susie is interesting because obviously she is very, very smart. But does she have coaching chops? Is it just technically smart? So I don't think I'm going to take her. Um, I'm between Dr. Brenner and Bob. Bob, a now forgotten character from season one, was America's sweetheart. Who also dies. Yes, Every yes. character you draft has died. <laughs> um, but and one of them lost their powers. So you have a team of people who can't do anything and who are dead. If I lose this poll, I am burning down the city of Orange. Hey. That's not fair. Who lost their... Well, again, like, I don't want to spoil things. Um, okay. Uh, Dr. Brenner, obviously, is very smart. Um, Bob is very supportive. He's courageous. Probably a bit of a pander pick if I took him, but I feel like the, the mental side of things, my team would love playing for Bob. But I am going to go Dr. Brenner. I am a little bit worried that if Dr. Brenner is my coach, it's going to be weird in the team locker room. All the players are going to be calling him Papa, which is going to be a really weird dynamic there. Um, but he obviously knows the psyche of of the players maybe. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like a Phil Jackson approach. Like he was the Zen master, right? I have Dr. Brenner to be my Zen master. Yeah. And I mean, if they call him Papa, I mean, it's half of Greg Popovich. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, that works perfectly. So, Look, uh, here's the thing. I expected it to be drafting horribly, so I'll tell you this. I was going to take Larry Bird um, up until about 30 seconds ago as my three. And even though he's not technically a character in the show, there's a lot of basketball in Indiana and players who were clearly inspired by Larry Bird, especially given the lack of diversity on the basketball team there. So I felt like I could make a very competent argument on an 80s show based in Indiana to have Larry Bird on the team, but I'm not because I'm very pleased with how this draft has gone. So I'm going to shake up my roster again. I'm going to move some pieces around. I have Steve Harrington at the one. I have the Duffer brothers at the two. I have Vecna at the three. I have the Demogorgon back at the four. And at the five, I have the tallest character in all of Stranger Things. This guy is seven foot two at uh, least. Mind flare? And that is Mike. That is Mike, who has grown a ridiculous what? amount and is insanely taller than everyone. It is embarrassing that they're pretending he's a freshman. Man is like six foot ten, and they have him in Dungeons and Dragons. As someone said on the Ringer podcast, he should be worried about three and D, not D and D. I've got Mike at the five. I feel great about my team, Derek. Oh my gosh! I'm sorry, but the mind flare is just dominating Mike in the post. He, he just is. What happened the last time they played? What happened the last time they played? Uh, they threw fireworks, which would be a uh, and, and stuff at him, which would be a foul. I mean, there's officials I, here. Would it? Yeah, I mean, the mind flare is not going to kill Mike. We're just playing basketball. You've talked about eleven manipulating the ball with yeah. some magical powers. I think that's a technical. But foul how does how does the official know? How does the official know if she passes the ball to someone? and, like, just slightly curves it, how does the official know she moved the ball and that it wasn't just, like, she put some backspin on the pass? If her nose is bleeding? Okay, well, we'll just we'll plug right? up her nose. We'll plug up her nose, and then you can't tell. You know, we'll put the, the old okay. uh, little, like, styrofoam tubes or whatever they are. 
And then, I mean, so this, you know what? Someone someone replied to me when we did our last draft and said the matchup that decided that was Doki against David mm-hmm. McCormick. All I want, if you're listening to this, I just want one person to respond to me and say that the Demogorgon is the matchup that decides this. <laughs> Over Lucas. I think I won this draft with my 1 1 pick. The Demogorgon is going to eat Lucas. No, 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 that's a foul. That's a technical foul. He's ejected from the game if he eats one of my players. No, you don't get ejected for a technical foul. It's one free throw. That's a double tech. If you eat someone, I'm sorry. If Draymond Green goes and takes a bite out of Jason Tatum, he's done. He's done for the series. Um, I think what you're not considering, the Demogorgon cannot shoot. The Demogorgon is going to be a great athlete, great defender, great rebounder, great driver to the rim. But the Mind Flare is the ultimate rim protector. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So the Mind Flare can't shoot, first of all. And what you're forgetting, by the way, is if I do have the Demogorgon ejected for eating and or killing one of your players, Mm -hmm. I have two Duffer brothers. So I still have five (laughs) players on the court. You only have four. All right. Well. Uh, I think this is the most contested of any of our drafts. So we'll put this up for a poll at RCST 1320. Here are the final teams. I have 11 at the point guard spot. Billy at the shooting guard. Jason Carver, another guard, essentially. I don't know. Maybe Billy would be better three because he's a little more physical. Uh, Lucas is my four-man, and the mind flare is my center, all coached by Dr. Brenner. And Scott has Steve Harrington at the one, the Duffer brothers at the two, Vecna at the three, the Demogorgon, and Mike as his two forwards with Hopper as the head coach. I like the silence. I have nothing to add. I just think I've dominated the draft finally, and I'm very much looking forward to actually winning one of these. Okay, we'll put it up for a poll. Scott, I appreciate it. Like we said, we're going to uh, put another one in the tank for uh, when I'm gone in Germany for the uh, no-game players at KU plus the five- and six-year guys, which... That one probably not going to be as fun as this one, but uh, good luck. Yeah, well, thank you. Enjoy Germany. I'll be in Portland while you're in Germany. Mm. Kind of the, the Germany of the Pacific Northwest. So we'll <laughs> both be on say? vacation. Okay. <laughs> well, Scott, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and joining me again. Thanks. That was Scott Chasen and our draft of Stranger Things. Again, you can go vote on who you thought won at RCST 1320. I'm Derek Johnson with Lane Gillespie. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. What's happening? Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson, about 10 till the top of the hour. We've got a KU mailbag coming up. We've got some audio to share for you for the new KU baseball coach and with Travis Goff as well. But got to finish out our deep dive into Grady Dick. We just finished up talking about that list of National Gatorade Player of the Year candidates and how much success they've had right off the bat in college. Here is the uh, 24-7 sports scouting report from Brandon Jenkins where it projects him as a Power 5 starter. 
A long and lean shooter with a strong basketball IQ and great size for the wing position. Dick is a knockdown shooter that demands the defense's attention. He's one of the better shooters in the country as he demonstrates a stroke behind the arc that has been impressive. He's a good athlete who is more bouncy than the eye test would lead you to believe. He competes to win, and his future as a spot-up shooter is what excites college coaches. His skill set gives him a great chance at being an immediate contributor on the offensive end of the floor for a high-major program. So, uh, first of all, you can uh, start to check off your bingo or, or take a drink because that is one of many times that we're going to hear from Grady Dick that uh, he is a uh, better athlete than you would think or, or something along those lines. You know, he's coach's kid. He's scrappy. He's um, he's uh, deceptively athletic is another term that you'll hear about him a lot over the course of uh, this season. By the way, the... The, the player comp for him on 24-7 sports is Matt McQuaid, which is like, like, don't get me wrong, he's a solid player for Michigan State, like starter, helped him go to the Final Four, like good three-point shooter, good defender. But like Matt McQuaid was just like a role player, is fine. Yeah, right. Grady Dick is like, he could be a first-round pick, he could be a star. So that was, that's kind of weird. I don't know if that scouting report was done like when he was a junior before he kind of you know added to his game even more as a senior. I, I don't know. But um, unlike most of the guards that we've talked about, the swing skill is not the shooting like, you expect the shooting to be good. How good is the shooting? Yeah, that's a question. Like, is it just going to be mid-30s on medium uh, attempts? Is it going to be high 30s or 40% on limited attempts? Is it going to be a lot of attempt? Like, volume? I don't know. But I do expect him to at least be a competent three-point shooter. Um, it's not that he's not a good defender. I just don't really have an idea. Is he a below-average defender? Is he a good defender? Is he a great defender? Is he an average defender? Whatever. Um, just given what I think the shot could be given what I think the offense could be. You know, if he's even just like a below average defender or an average defender, knowing that a lot of the players around him, a lot of his teammates are going to be really good defenders, that Bill Self tends to have really good defenses, I think that's probably good enough. Um, but that's certainly a swing skill because if the defense isn't there and it is for a guy like, say, MJ Rice, then it becomes more of a question, which brings this to our realistic floor and realistic ceiling. Um, as far as the floor... We talked about this yesterday with MJ Rice. You have a large amount of wings at KU that you have to fit into a certain amount of playing time. And if you have MJ Rice, Kevin McCuller, Jalen Wilson, hypothetically, if, if those guys are all ahead of Grady Dick at that position and, and on the wing getting more minutes, at that point, um, it's there's only so many minutes to go around to where it's hard for me seeing him getting anywhere below being still a key rotation piece, still being a key player that's going to still give you 20 to 25 minutes per game off the bench maybe. But that that's kind of the floor there, that MJ Rice beats him out, that Kevin McCuller and, and Jalen Wilson are in front of him. And then even then, he's one of the best shooters on the team. Maybe the floor is that he's not totally efficient yet as a freshman, but he can get hot. Um, and overall, because of the shooting, he stays into that key role kind of, for the team as he needs. What are kind of your thoughts on, on Grady Dick headed into the year? Well, obviously, we only have a small sample size of um, how he performs on a college floor. You know, we've only seen scrimmages here and there. From what I've seen, he can shoot the ball pretty well. I'm yet to see that athleticism, though, but I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying that, you know, it's a scrimmage. We're not going to see much athleticism in the means of driving to the paint, getting past the defense or whatever. But just given what's written down in a scouting report – it does remind me a lot of Christian Brown a little bit. He's a scrappy kid uh, who can drive inside, get get into the head of the opponents, and 
right. and uh, really just show out and ball out. Now, more of By the, the way, take a drink because Lane just gave him the scrappy <laughs> term too. Um, I'd say more. I, I don't know if he's yet to the junior Christian Brown. He's probably, probably from what we've seen so far, probably the sophomore Christian Brown. You could probably put in a little bit of freshman Christian Brown in there as well, a guy who was just more scrappy than a shooter, but he really showed his shooting prowess his sophomore year. Yeah, I, I think it'd be unfair to probably expect him to be how good Christian Brown was this season. In terms of just three-point shooting, though, like I don't think that's unrealistic. Christian was at like three-and-a-half threes per game at 38%. Uh, you could tell me Grady Dick's going to take four, five, six per game from three, and, and if he can be at 30, you know, if he's slightly below that percentage but on more attempts, like it makes him very valuable there. Um, he's certainly going to be a guy that is going to be a villain for other fan bases, uh, he can talk some trash out there. Like we've seen the videos, the highlights, the mixtapes where he just dunks all over someone where you do kind of see that athleticism. Right. And that is going to make him a very fun player to watch and, and go into the realistic ceiling. I think ceiling wise, uh, sky's the limit here. He's an all big 12 player. He's a one and done. He's a lottery pick in the NBA draft. As far as the role, if everything hits here, he's a top two scorer on the team. It's him and Jalen. Uh, he's the best shooter on the team. He he kind of thrives when he's not shooting the ball as a cutter and in transition with some of that dunking ability. And then as far as role goes, you know, he's playing 28, 30-ish minutes a game. He starts on the wing. Uh, he's has one of the, honestly, like one of the best freshman seasons we've seen at KU under Bill Self. Like we're talking about Andrew Wiggins, Josh Jackson, like those types of guys on the wings. Xavier Henry in terms of what he could bring to the table. And maybe that's a good one. Maybe that's a good one right there, Xavier Henry, because um, – I think in that situation, like Xavier Henry joined a team that had a couple established guys with Sharon and Cole with, that were going to be the top options. But you also had the Morris Twins and like Tyshawn Taylor and stuff. I don't know that this team has that many established offense or, or options in terms of offense, but certainly this team has some guys that you look at and say, okay, well, Jalen's going to do this and, and Kevin McCuller could do this and MJ Rice and, and whoever's the center and all those things that maybe that's the comparison. Xavier Henry averaged 13-14 a game, was efficient from three, 40%, was a really solid player for KU. Maybe that's that's a uh, comp that he could have, although very different in the, the two game styles of those two guys. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Let's uh, let you hear from the new KU baseball coach and the KUAD on the new baseball coach coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 117 and 1320 KLWN with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson. We'll have a, another U.S. Open update for you coming up here in about 25 minutes from right now. Uh, but first, we got to get to a KU mailbag. I had some questions submitted in. Several people shoot me a DM. I don't know why. Most people just like to DM it as opposed to reply to it. I don't Whatever. Um Thank you for the questions to everyone who asked the question. Uh, I did want to address one question. I'm sorry. This comes from Matt, who uh, asked last night if we could get David Lawrence on the show to talk KU football before I leave for my uh, vacation to Germany. Um, unfortunately, I reached out to DL earlier today. He happens to be on vacation right now. He's out in New York City, uh, living up the world out there in New York. So uh, we're not going to be able to line it up. I'm, I'm sorry, Matt. We'll, we'll try to get DL on as uh one of the first guests when I come back. How about that? And we'll talk some KU football. Uh, the other question, this one has already been answered 
because it just came out with news today, but I still want to get into it because I'm kind of interested by it. This came from John. Thank you to John listening to the show. He was asking, who do you predict KU's opponent to be in the Big 12 SEC Challenge? Arkansas, question mark. Obviously, it would have made a lot of sense. Arkansas has a lot of hype. You get the Arkansas versus Kansas um, kind of matchup there. And you would just think, oh, okay, you played Kentucky this past season. But that was actually um, the game in Allen Fieldhouse, a return trip from a matchup, um, what was it, like three or four years ago or something? 2019 was the last one, yeah. Okay. So, um, it honestly, I was coming into today getting ready to stay. It, it wouldn't have surprised me if Kentucky was chosen to be the answer, which ended up being the case. Came out today the news that um, Kentucky and Kansas will play. Baylor's going to be playing Arkansas in the Big 12 SEC Challenge come January. It, just, it makes too much sense for them to right. keep going with this matchup. It's two blue bloods. It's not something that I don't think people are going to get sick of. Like It's like Duke, North Carolina, or Michigan, Ohio State. Like It's not to that level in terms of rivalry, because that's not what the case is here. But just in terms of two big brands, you know, um, people aren't going to get tired of watching it, whether it's from a national audience for putting college game day there, whether it's from the Kansas and Kentucky crowd. It's just a fun game with two historic programs. The one thing that annoys me is that it's going to be at Rep Arena again. It'll be This will be the sixth, I believe, matchup since the Big 12 SEC Challenge began, which was in 2016. And this will be the fourth time in Rupp Arena. It's only been at Allen true? Yes. It's only been at Allen, Allen Fieldhouse twice, 2016 thought, and 2022. So I thought this would be the third time at Rupp. I thought this was the fifth matchup. Uh, 17, 18, or... I don't think they played in They 18. didn't do it in 18. Okay, this will be the third one then. What, yeah. What they do in 18 then? Because they played, they played Kentucky for the... Uh, did they play Kentucky for the Champions Classic that year? Um, yeah, I want to say so. Yeah, yeah, they would have played. Yeah, they played Kentucky in the Champions Classic. Um, okay, so they they won kind of. It ugly. didn't. Okay, but this will be the third. Okay, never mind. Just yeah. total disregard then. Yeah, yeah. So it's their. Yeah, so this will uneven it. Um, basically, that means there should be another return trip to Lawrence coming at some time soon after that. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it, you're gonna have the discussion. Who knows where things will be at at that point? But certainly the all-time wins discussion makes it an interesting matchup. Um, again, you don't play them in the Champions Classic this year, so that allows you to play them anyway. I'm kind of to a point where it's just like, if you want to play Kansas-Kentucky every year, I'm all for it. So you have them in the Champions Classic, and then the other two years, make them play in this or, or whatever. Make it work. You I know? forgot the Big 12 SEC Challenge in 2018 was Texas A&M. Yeah, that's right. It's, it, it just wasn't quite as memorable as Kentucky or Tennessee. I guess. Yeah, they had A&M that year, and then they had... At Kentucky in 19, I want to say, and then you had two with Tennessee in Correct. 20 and 21. Um, and then, obviously, Kentucky last year in Allen Fieldhouse. Um, I actually, prior to them announcing, I, I thought that if it wasn't Kentucky, Arkansas would have made sense. Outside of that, Auburn, Texas A&M, and Tennessee, because what you mentioned there, they played A&M at home, so they still have not technically, and I, I don't know if they actually care about this, but if they want to eventually complete like home and homes, you know, if you've played one team, play them again at home and maybe they care less because they just want to get the marquee matchups. And so it's like, we're going to get the marquee matchups. If, um, if the marquee matchups end up being a team that you've played before, then we'll balance it out with you playing at home or, or you playing, um, on the road. Nonetheless, 
Um, Texas A&M at some point is someone I'm eyeing because you would think at some point you'd have that return trip there. Tennessee makes sense. You have the Rick Barnes connection. They're usually good. Auburn, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't yet seen a Kansas-Auburn matchup in the Big 12 SEC Challenge because they've been really good under Bruce Pearl. But yeah, Kentucky's the one that just makes the most sense. So what's interesting to me is that if you start thinking for the possible matchups in 2023-24, so not this next season is 22-23, the following season is 23-24. Right. Because at that point, um, you're going to be playing Kentucky in the Champions Classic. So you would have to be playing someone else. And, and we have no idea what the rosters will look like. But at that point, it will have to be someone else. And then my guess from there, because you'd play Kentucky in the Champions Classic, what, what you were mentioning earlier, it's imbalanced now with you going to Rupp this year for the third game. That implies to me that there will be a Kansas-Kentucky matchup back in Allen Fieldhouse again to return it to make it three versus three. So that means I'm guessing we get Kansas versus Kentucky in Allen Fieldhouse in the 2024-25 season, okay. which would make it in January of 2025. I mean, we don't know how that actually works out, if it'll be that way. I would just assume it does. And and here's the other thing. Um, Kansas was they, – they, they set up like a home-and-home home with Gonzaga. Um, I think originally that was supposed to be this year, but it sounds like that might get moved back due to some scheduling conflicts or, or something else going on. That means there is a possibility by the time we, I know this is a long ways in advance and stuff, but by the time we get to the 2024-25 season, Kansas could be playing Kentucky, Gonzaga, and Missouri all in the same non-con plus whatever tournament they play plus the Big 12 Big East Challenge. Wow. That's a fun little (laughs) non-con. Who knows? Maybe play like Villanova or something in the Big East. Yeah, maybe. Okay. uh, That's the question from John. Thank you for that question. Uh, Next up is from Kyle. Kyle has a couple questions. One of them, with Duke hiring a bag man, or bag lady in this case, where are you currently at in terms of frustration if slash when KU gets any major penalties from the NCAA? He added in the note that he thinks he is nearing a 10. So if you missed the the news, um, Duke hired a longtime Nike and NBA employee staffer, Rachel Baker. And the official position that she's going to be taking up at Duke is general manager, which we think of general manager in pro sports because there's contracts and, and salary cap and trading and things like that. Right. Not really that in, in college, but it's becoming more of a popular thing for these um, colleges, football and and you know, basketball, whatever sport to have basically a general manager with how much roster turnover that is. Like that's going to be the new big position because of the transfer portal, people always leaving because you have to constantly be keeping an eye, not just people leaving from your program, but people entering the transfer portal and and having knowledge about who's good, who would fit into the program, all those things and keeping connections with, with all these different people. Um, The fact that Duke is doing this from someone at Nike it's very clearly somebody who was helping them drop bags to bring people into the program. I've always said I don't really have a problem with it, and, and I think a lot of fans are probably the same light. Like They don't really care if KU is, is paying players. Obviously, you don't want to get in trouble with the NCAA, uh, but you do hate when – this has always been my thing that it's it's like nothing frustrates me more when somebody is like, you know, I, I just hate John Calipari, 
<laughs> I don't really like Coach Krzyzewski, but I can respect him. And it's like, okay, well, John Calipari is very honest about a lot of this stuff, whereas Coach K plays this role as, no, I'm the most innocent person in the world. I do everything the right way when he's doing it the exact same way where they are having bag people. They just haven't gotten in trouble or haven't right. gotten caught for it. <laughs> um, so nonetheless, that's that's what they're doing. I don't really care, to be completely honest. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point KU hires their own general manager. It's just kind of a sticky situation right now because Nike was never investigated like they probably should have been, whereas Adidas was. Um, so that kind of stinks because as soon as Kansas – like that's the thing. If Kansas were to make a hire of somebody high up in Adidas to be their GM, like that would – that would look very um, – that would lead to a lot of negative headlines, a lot of negative stories, a lot of negative columns and stuff coming out, um, whereas Duke does this, and it's more so just, oh, this is kind of a cool opportunity for this person. But we all know what's going on there. So it is frustrating from the standpoint that – and again, like I, I don't totally get the side of things where it's like, if I'm in trouble, why do you have to be in trouble too from the standpoint of like, you know, if if I get in trouble, why does my friend have to be in trouble? Like, I don't want that for him, but I guess Duke's not a friend. It's a competitor, so that is different. Um, yeah, it stinks. It's stupid. It's incongruent. It's whatever word you want to say. It's frustrating. Um, but I also, it's more frustrating because it would matter. It would create negative headlines for Kansas. It's less frustrating to me because... Duke is not getting negative headlines, if that makes sense. I would rather it be both sides don't have to worry about the negativity of it than the alternative, if, if that makes any sense. Um, the next question that Kyle had, Kansas making the College World Series, and this, by the way, he asked this before KU made their new uh, baseball hire, so I'd be curious if Kyle's a little more optimistic on the baseball program now, but... Um, Kansas making the College World Series and Kansas winning a major bowl game both are starting to feel like once-in-a-lifetime situations for a KU fan. Unfortunately, for somebody both um, in the late 80s, they happened rather early and may never happen again. Which one will I see again? Make your pick. So if, if we're viewing this from a standpoint of I have to just pick one, I can't pick both. Because I, I do think that well, I don't know. College World Series is tough. I, I would say the bowl game is is the easy answer. I would agree. I would say the bowl game is also the answer of which happens first. Um, it's also technically the answer of what happened most recently. Yeah, that too, right? I mean, it's it's just harder when you, College World Series is being... Like, College World Series is the equivalent of KU not just making a bowl game. It's the equivalent of KU making the Orange Bowl. So, if we... Let's up the the ante here because I I think a bowl game is realistic in the next I I think you would hope in the next two or three years um, college world series like you could have success Dan Fitzgerald could could come in and in the next ten years they could make six NCAA tournaments and three super regionals and that would be a very successful tenure but still not make a college world series it's very hard. So what if I changed this to what happens first, College World Series for Kansas baseball or KU football finishing a season ranked in the top 20? Uh, football. I'm going to go with football on that I because, like you said, making a College World Series is hard. 
And I think if you can have one standout season with football, win eight games somehow, um, I think that's I think that's quite possible. I think I think that is more possible than a college World Series. Yeah, because if you if you win eight games, you know you. you now, if you say KU making it to the college football playoff, I would go with no. College World Series. But that could be if if the college football playoff does expand eventually to twelve teams. That's been you know talked about for a while. I You're talking about. I guarantee, given the arrogance of others, it won't. Well, College World Series is eight with more teams in the NCAA, but also more teams make the the tournament, and it's it's easier to go on a run once you're there. College football playoff would be 12 at that point, so technically more teams would be in. You could convince yourself the playoff, but I would, yeah, at that point, if you were to say college football playoff, I'd take the college world series. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to win a college world. I mean, there's good baseball programs that have still never made a college world series. So I I think the bowl game is coming soon. The college world series, it's hopeful. It's something that I would love to see happen, but just because, again, like you could still make a super regional Kansas and it's an ultra successful season, I just wouldn't hold my breath for the College World Series, and hopefully we get to a point where that becomes more of a uh, thing that we can see. Uh, the last question we have here is from Todd. Again, thank you to Kyle for submitting that question. Thank you to Todd as well. How many threes can we actually expect KU centers to take? Okay, so I'm assuming this question is revolving around the idea that KU has a couple stretch fives. Zach Clements, Cam Martin. Heck, I saw even uh, Zuby Edgefer at the yeah. camp scrimmage yesterday hit a couple yeah, threes. Yeah, hit a couple threes. How nuts is that? So clearly that could be in the, the fold. And, and I don't know what to think of that because, like, Mitch Lightfoot every year would make a couple threes in that event. But then, yeah, like, but he wasn't a shooter. I no. Just, he, he would just shoot from time to time well that's what i'm saying like in the camp scrimmages he was making oh, yeah, a couple yeah. threes and but once we get to actual like game moments is bill self gonna let him shoot a three maybe on senior day but outside of that no so like do i actually expect i think to be edgefer to be taking threes in games maybe a couple over the course of the season but i think in mitch's six-year career which he played five of them i think he only made like five or six threes and that was i don't know yeah like it, it wasn't many uh but that's the point. Like you had a guy who, in gosh, in late night at the fog situations, he'd take a three or two every game. In the camp scrimmages, he'd make a couple threes. Um, I'd love to to find the old camp scrimmage stats just to see. So, nonetheless, the the point I, I bring that up is that I don't really expect that to be a part of um, Zuby Edgefer's game long term. Like I said, if he takes a couple over the course of the season, like a handful or something, that wouldn't be surprising. But do I expect it to all of a sudden he's going to be shooting two threes a game or something like that? No, not really. Um, so nonetheless, you have guys at, at that center position that can shoot threes. But if you look back in the course of some of other KU past big men who have had the ability to stretch the floor, who have had the ability to shoot threes from the outside. They haven't taken that many per game. Maybe Bill Self has a different plan. I'm sure he does when you have a unique talent like Zach Clements and again, like Cam Martin and everything. It's just, it's hard to see it being some like gigantic number. Like I know this sounds like a small number, but like Zach Clements might only take two or three, maybe three four threes in a game 
Like, that doesn't sound like a large number. It really doesn't. Um, Marcus Morris, the year he won Big 12 Player of the Year, shot 34% from three. He took two per game. Markeith Morris, his junior year, shot 42% from three. Markeith Morris only took 1.6 per game. Perry Ellis, his senior year, shot 44% from three. He shot 1.7 per game. Diedrich Lawson, who was a focal point of the offense and could stretch it, shot 39% from three. He shot two and a half per game. Matthew Hurt, who Bill Self coached at the FIFA or FIBA U18s in 2018, he averaged 3.3 per game, but that was him shooting 60%. He was unconscious. So if he's shooting 45%, does that number go down to two and a half? If you just look at it like in terms of, of how many KU takes per game, we don't know what the structure and, and setting of, of KU is going to be for that each and every year and, and this year as well. Um, KU took about 23s last year per game. We've seen other years where it's been you know mid-20s or, or closer to uh, a higher number than that. Um, this year, they were only 265th in the country, which is kind of hard to believe because you think of having some good three-point shooters with Ochag Baji and Christian, Christian Brown and stuff. But Christian was more selective with his threes. Ochai took a lot. They didn't take a ton overall. And, and right. here kind of in lies the problem. Grady Dick could be an elite three-point shooter. Like I said, Ochai took six and a half threes per game at a 41% clip. Is Dick going to outdo that as a freshman? I mean, it's possible given the hype, but I wouldn't put the expectation on that. And then you're talking about questions from three through the rest of the team. And if the second and, and third best three-point shooters on the team outside of Grady Dick happen to be Zach Clements and Cam Martin, that that's a bit of a problem for KU in terms of what their three-point percentage, what their three-point rate as a team could be, because that means that your second and third best guys are only going to get up a couple per game, that it's not going to impact your overall team percentage as much as someone like a wing who is going to get up three, four, maybe five three-pointers per game. But back to the question, how many threes can we actually expect KU centers to take? If you're looking at it as centers as a whole, it's probably a little bit bigger of a number. But if you're looking at Zach Clements, I kind of look to the Diedrich Lawson, Matthew Hurt years or, or games. I think somewhere between three, three and a half, three pointers per game from Zach Clements is the right number. And then you probably look at it like one more three per game coming off the bench. If Cam Martin's playing a sizable role, then maybe it's a little bit more. Um, but that's kind of me hedging my bet, not really knowing who the guy's going to be. I don't really expect Ernest Uday to take any threes. But yeah, like maybe Zubi Edgefer fires up a three once every five games or something like that if he's playing. Uh, it just it, It's funny because it sounds like so little. If you take three threes in a game and you go one of three, you know, if Zach Clemens shoots 33% from three, that may be a little lower than than people are expecting. But that's not like – it just – it, it doesn't sound like a lot at all, but that's yeah. been the case of past Bill Self big men. I I mean, I, part of me wants to teeter on the lower side, though. Like, probably two threes a game or two and a half or something like that. Given, But I guess that just kind of depends on the role that Bill Self will give Zach Clements. Whether or not he wants to be that stretch five or be the guy that pounds it inside all the time. And... I don't know if he's strong enough to be the guy that can go inside all the time. That's just the problem. 
That's definitely a big question. What will his postgame look like? I mean, Bill Self said that he's a talented kid and, and certainly has as much pro potential as anyone. So uh seems to be very high on him. And, and that would, um, the longer he's on the court, the more that's going to give you opportunities for three. I, I would think that's going to be uh, a key part of his game. But yeah, I, I think it's better to be on the conservative side there. You're probably looking at closer to two for th- two or three or something like that. Like Christian Brown took three and a half threes per game. Are you really expecting Zach Clements to take more than that next season? I'm probably not. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take another time out here. Um, after the break, we're going to have a, another U.S. Open um, update from Westwood One. And then after that, we'll get to some more audio from the new KU baseball coach, Dan Fitzgerald, being introduced by Travis Goff. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. You are listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. So Bill Self spoke with the media earlier this week, and we wanted to go a little bit more in depth on some of the things that um, Bill Self said. And, and I think what was most interesting to me was any of the conversation discussing the rotation and, and trying to kind of figure that out and gain certain hints or whatever about where things stand or maybe the early favorite in, in certain situations right now. Um, so here is the first part of Bill Self kind of talking about newcomers fighting to start and, and play different roles on this team. There's a difference between being an all, a McDonald's All-American and you're a top five to ten player in the class and the difference of being a guy that's a top 30 player in the class. But but uh, but the positions are all open. I mean, they're, they're open. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that MJ and Grady are going to fight for a starting position here. No doubt. Uh, it still remains to be seen how our bigs do. Uh, I, I, I don't have a, I don't have an opinion on that yet. Uh, but should they all be able to compete and fight for it? Absolutely. But there's some guys that are unknowns from last year that, you know, will, will, will definitely put up a fight to make sure they're in the best position too. So, uh, and then you can always play small. You know, the, if, you, if Grady and MJ and Kevin and Jalen all have to be on the floor with 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 Juan or Joe or whoever, you can always play small. So. Uh, I, th- I think there's going to be competition and pressure on one of those guys to really come through. And that was really interesting, that last comment there that he made. Like, yeah, we, we have no problem with small this year, where he just mentioned all four of those wings and Dewan at the point. That would mean Jalen Wilson would be playing the small ball five, which we did see that a lot in Jalen's redshirt freshman year. Um, so that could be a real possibility, and that's something that I'm now definitely considering that KU could use and, and will use at least for spurts this next season because that might end up being your best, like getting how you get your best players on the court all at once if, if MJ Rice and Grady Dick are, are that good and Kevin McCuller makes the seamless transition over. So that's something I'm, I'm definitely curious on, and, and I can't help but think when, when you get to play against Texas Tech, in the case of last year, three times, but at minimum two times per season if you're KU and you're Bill Self. And you see the success they have, not just in terms of overall as a program, but defensively, even despite not having in a lot of lineups like a seven-footer out there or something like that. Like a lot of lineups, Texas Tech has thrown out a six-foot-seven or six-foot-eight kind of big man who's kind of switchable on the perimeter, and they might switch one through four. They might even switch one through five, and they basically just have five wings out there at all times. I'm sure Bill Self sees that and goes, you know what? I wouldn't mind playing like that either. Like, like we've had success switching one through four and playing all these wings. 
Sure, I'll give it a whirl one through five. Uh, obviously, I think he'd still prefer to have that one center down low. Right. But if that doesn't work out and, and they're not up to snuff, that's certainly a reliable option there. Obviously, I'm just curious about who could be the guy that can guard that one through five. Um, because, you know, yeah, Marcus Garrett a few years ago, he could without a doubt guard that one through five. But, well, I don't mean that they have to have like one guy right. who guards it. But. Well, I, I think just my point is like with Kevin McCuller, even though he's not necessarily a big guy, could he be a guy or could Jalen Wilson be a guy that guards the five? I think it's just my question. Yeah, yeah. I think, like I said, we, we saw it from Jalen, his retro freshman year. Um, I don't think it was like something where he was like an elite center defender. I don't think he was like terrible at it, but that'll be the big question of how adept is he at doing that to allow them to play that way. Kevin McCuller was, you know, they would switch one through five at Tech, and there were times where he did get switched on to the five and, and worked out okay. Um, so it would give you the option. Again, I don't I don't think that'll be the primary lineup, but that does give me the hint that we'll probably see it early in the season, and, and if it goes well, it could be something that KU uses more often. Um, the guy that is one of the probably two most intriguing positions for him. I don't know, just in terms of individuals, he's probably the most, but in terms of position, it's less so. Like I'm, I'm most interested to see what happens at the center position and the backup point guard spot or the second lead guard role, however you view it. Just in terms of individual players that I'm curious on what their role could be, what position they're going to play, K.J. Adams is the guy. Here's what Bill Self had to say about K.J. That's my bad. I don't think we have that pulled up. My bad. Okay. Um, so, K.J. Adams, a guy that could play the, you know, backup five. He's a guy that could play on the wing for KU and trying to figure out where he's going to play, trying to figure out, um, I guess, the position that he's going to play helps make trying to figure out how many minutes you have available at certain spots on, on certain spots of the the uh, rotation certainly more interesting. Here is uh, Bill Self speaking about KJ's role possibly on the wing. I, 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 imagine, I, I imagine him playing more on the wing. But that's if one of those big guys come through, you know, uh, uh, you know whether it be Cam or Zach or whoever. Uh, uh, but if, if, if one of those guys don't come through and, you know, and be a low post presence like we need, then if if well why don't we play our best perimeter guys if we don't have a low post presence so ball on both ends so I, I don't think it's that complicated but they're all capable of helping us it's just Zach's young you know uh, Zuby and Ernest are really young and and uh, you know Cam's the only one with any age on him that, that that you would say would have an advantage from that standpoint. So that sounds like ideally he wants to play him on the wing in long term but again. If the centers aren't ready and you need him to, to go there, you could. And, and that's, you know, to your question about um, if KU's playing small, who would defend the fives? Like, we've seen it before with, with Jalen Wilson. Doesn't mean it's it's worked great, but it hasn't been super an issue or anything. Um, that is a guy who plays like a wing. Defensively, though, he can defend your fives in, in K.J. Adams. So you could even have a lineup where you have K.J. at the five, you have uh, Jalen Wilson at the four, Kevin McCuller, one of the other wings with Grady Dick or MJ Rice, and then Dewan Harris at the point guard, and that would work as well. Um, but yeah, it sounds like they want to get him on the wing at the four, which I do think it works out for him that because we don't know what he's going to be as a shooter. It, it sounds like something he's been trying to work on. Um, certainly, that would be a big swing skill for him moving forward. 
But if you're going to play him, you need guys around him that are shooting because you can't have a, a lineup where you have multiple guys on the court that defenses can sag off of and, and ruin the lane. But if you play him next to, to Zach Clements or next to Cam Martin and they can basically inverse it on offense where one can play on the perimeter and KJ can play down low, that could actually work um, to make him play on the wing. But as far as playing a ton of minutes on the wing, it's just going to come down to how well the shot comes around. Now, I mentioned the point guard position, and that's certainly something that remains to be seen who ends up being that guy. Here is Bill Self talking about one of the candidates there with Joe Yesifu. I think Joe's uh, role should be more defined as, uh, hey, hey, go score the ball, as opposed to go, you know, not only do what you're supposed to do, but make sure you know what everybody else is supposed to do and where they're supposed to be at all times. And and uh, I, I think that that was something that we probably held him back a little bit with last year. And after knowing him a little bit more and how hard he tries and wants to be good and all that stuff, it's going to be hard for him to be good unless he has a free mind because he's such a conscientious kid. So I, I, I think what he said is true, and that's partly our responsibility, not letting be feel that way. So that's what I was going to ask you then. How then can you be uplifting and supportive, or is that just a message that, hey, things will come, just hang in there? Uh, well, it's, it's multiple things. It, it, it could be maybe we don't require him to uh, uh, feel the responsibility of certain things going on the court. Uh, at all times, whenever you're the eighth man or so, your job's to make sure, or the ninth man or whatever you're going to get, your job sometimes is to make sure that the other four guys in the game are good as opposed to you being great. The ninth player very rarely affects the outcome of a game uh, uh, like players one through five do. Uh, uh, and that's not a knock. That's just the, that's just reality. You usually, don't play as many minutes, or, or the reason there's a reason why they're not starting and all that stuff. And so, those kids don't have the same sometimes a reckless, abandoned feeling that he wants me to score when everything else is designed for the other guys to maybe do their deal. We got to fix it where Joe doesn't feel that way, uh, regardless if he's a starter or not. That that this is his role now, and uh, I, I think he'll accept that, and I think he'll thrive in that situation. Uh, those are all good things about Joe, and, and if he can be a scorer, I think that might give him the leg up, especially with Pettiford having the injury. Pettiford was ahead of Yesfu early, but maybe that was enough to get him back in front, and then you add Kyle Cuff to the equation as well. The last thing I wanted to, to bring up here was Bill Self talking about Zach Clements and, and what Clements can bring to the table because I, I think certainly when you're talking about trying to figure out the rotation, who's going to be the starter at center, who's the favorite to start, how often are they going to play small based on how good the center is? Uh, certainly, this was a pretty glowing comment from Bill Self about Zach Clements. I think he, I think Zach's uh, arguably as good a prospect we have returning, period. Uh, and that includes Jalen. Uh, we talk about prospects, six foot ten almost. He can really shoot and he's going to get stronger. He's tough. He's got a great attitude. So, you know, his best ball is well down the road, but to me, he's one of those guys that you could look up and, and and a year from now, you'd be saying, wow, he's a he's an all-league type talent. That is uh, pretty high praise there and tells me that I feel better about my Zalman's predict prediction to start at the uh, starting five. We're going to take a timeout. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.